Good morning. Welcome to Hillside. Good to see everybody here today. Good to see online. Good to see faces. Glad that you're here today. As we continue on in our journey of dealing with the tough questions, today Sean's going to be addressing, if God is good at all and all-powerful, how can there be evil and suffering in this world? Um, so I'm glad that Sean got, pulled the, the straw on this one. This is a pretty in-depth one but exciting to be able to hear what he has to say. He, he comes with, this, with a lot of experience, both teaching classes, but also teaching at Denver Seminary. So he's gonna be able to bring this to us as a professor would to his students. Also wanna remind you that we do have our Bible app. That is an app that we continue to use. Um, Sean's gonna ask you some questions about that when he gets up here, but if you need help accessing that, that's currently what we're using to put our bulletin, our giving reports, and all of the different outlines that we use in the service. But I wanna highlight a couple. This week we are doing our sponsors and chaperones taking kids to Target. It's the Golden Salvation Army Extension Unit where we're putting together teams that are gonna go and shop for students for the start of this year. Every student will receive um, different, a backpack full of school supplies and then $100 towards shoes or clothes to make sure they have exactly what they need going back to school. That happens on Tuesday. So there's still time to sign up. On our website, you can find Jennifer's information or in the email that you receive every week. Just email her if you wanna be part of that, whether you wanna donate or you wanna help shop for it. Then also, we got a big party this week, right? Youth group is hosting a end of summer, beginning of fall, saying goodbye and praying for our seniors, but welcome to our sixth graders. And so all of the families are welcome to be part of that, but you have to make sure you sign up. So you have to email Braden or Allie, probably don't go to them today and say, hey, I'm coming, because that will get lost. We, need, we definitely need to have a count for food. We're encouraging people to bring some food, but that'll be here at the church. Now, make sure you mark this in your brains too. It starts at different times. So it starts at six, and ends at 8.30. Normally we start at 6.30 and end at 8, but it's gonna be longer because we got a lot of stuff to do. But please, if you're part of youth group or you're even interested in learning more about it, if you're new here, that'd be a great place for you to kind of connect, get to know our youth leaders and find out what their vision is for the next coming year. Um, also on top of that, just continuing to say, there are places for you to get information. If you're not getting our email and you wanna get it, on our website, when you go to connect, connections or how to connect, there's a place in there, you just subscribe, you put in your email, you put in some information, you push subscribe, and then you'll start getting the weekly hillside happenings so you can be really up to date on what's going on. We're trying to keep our website really current right now as well so you can go there. And our Facebook page is a private page, so we've got stuff that goes on there every once in a while that just kind of lets people know what's going on. So go to those places, but I wanna, just transition us into worship with praying. And one specific prayer that came, came up was uh, just praying for Sammy and Joe and their travels back home. They're, they were here uh, for a couple of weeks, and, but they're traveling back to their home. And that's a, a big process because of where they're traveling to. So I'm gonna pray for them, um, but also just a, a reminder too, I skipped it, it was the first thing. Um, I wanna keep in front of us the opportunities that we have with our tithes and offering. I know. It, We've kind of stepped away in a little bit different and put it all online. Um, but it's important for us as a community to be attentive to what God's expectations are for us around tithing and offerings. So I, I believe that for us to be part of this Christian experience, it's living in God's economy. 
And part of what he's provided for us is an opportunity to be in that ordinance, to really understand what it looks like to give, uh, to sacrificially give. And we've got a lot of things around here that we want you to be part of. One is just the general stuff that we do, but also the things that God has kind of brought up for us, like supporting our missionaries, supporting this outreach program that we got going on on Tuesday. So please just continue to prayerfully consider what that looks like for you and your families. Let's pray. Father, we, we thank you for who you are. The opportunity for us to come here as individuals, to, to be part of what you're doing, but even beyond that, to be a family, to be part of your family, to gather together, to celebrate what you've done throughout our week, to be challenged to look forward, your expectations for this coming week. This moment in time at Sunday at 10 o'clock where we get to come and we get to acknowledge that you're our God. In the midst of all of the uncertainties, all the things around health and finance, what's gonna happen next? Many of it, we don't know. But what we do know is you are our God. You have laid out the future for us as followers of Jesus Christ. The victory is won. Our destination is secure. So we come here to celebrate that even when things look confusing all around us. Father, help us to lean into you today to acknowledge that you're our God and worship you. Amen. Let's just stay in this for a minute. I know a lot's going on in all of our lives. and Praise God, we have this place and this family where we get to come and, and stop and worship together. And, um, so let's be intentional about our worship today. And I know sometimes we just kind of jump into it and uh, um, but let's just stop. Um, maybe take those last few bites of your bagel and put down your coffee and and just stop before the Lord. And then when we're ready, we're going to jump in and we're going to worship the Lord.
Gabby, uh, in our hearts, we want you to take that throne. So would you take it? God, we surrender who we are. God, we surrender the control that we think we have over our lives. And we trust you. We believe that you are overall, that you are sovereign. And we love you, Jesus. Uh, no matter what, we choose you and we choose to praise you. And oh, how high would I climb mountains if the mountains were where you hide? And oh, how far I'd scale the valleys if you graced the other side And oh, how long have I chased rivers From lowly seas to where they rise Against the rush of grace descending From the source of its supply Cause in the highlands and the heartache You're neither more or less inclined I would search and stop at nothing You're just not that hard to find I would praise you on the mountain I will praise you when the mountains in my way You're the song where my feet are I will praise you in the valleys all the same No less God within the shadows No less faithful when the night is me straight You're the heaven where my heart your kindness extend the path from where your feet rest on the sunrise to where you sweep the sinners past oh how fast would you come running if just 
No less God within the shadows No less faithful when the night leads me astray You're the heaven where my heart is In the highlands, in the heartache or the sea God, we sing that from our hearts. Yet we often just stray from that belief that you're the same God when things are going well as you are when they're not. So God, help us believe. Help us receive this truth. So Spirit, would you go before us? Would you move inside of us? Clear away the the things that are distracting us. Allow us to hear and receive your truth today. God, we proclaim together that you are sovereign, that you are Lord above all else. So have your way in this place today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You can be seated. Community Church on this beautiful morning. My name is Sean. I'm one of the pastors here. It's good to see all of you in person here. We got a big crowd here. We've got people in overflow. We got people online. Um, before I get started here, I wanted to ask a quick kind of informal poll kind of question. You know, we have our sermon outlines and our announcements and everything like that. Ever since really kind of the pandemic started or a little ways into the pandemic, we put all that online and in the Bible app. And I'm just curious by show of hands, how many of you have been using the Bible app? And, and be honest, it's, okay, so probably about a third, quarter to a third. We're also trying to decide if we want to go back to the paper bulletins, you know, that we had pre-pandemic. We kind of stopped those during the pandemic just because of wanted to reduce the number of touch points in the church. But how many of you would like to see a paper bulletin with the sermon outline and the announcements and things like that, just by show of hands. How many would that benefit? Okay, good. Well, we're talking about that, and we will continue to, you know, we'll figure that out over the next few weeks, but I just wanted to kind of get a sense from all of you, so thank you for that. We are in the midst of a summer-long series on apologetics 
If you remember from the spring, we did a series on having a heart for the lost and then a series on evangelism and what it means to share our faith and how we do that in a genuine and sincere fashion. You know, we didn't provide any programs or formulas or anything, but just just talking about really having that heart and what it looks like to share your faith. But inevitably, or almost inevitably, when you do share your faith or when you express your faith to another person, there's a good chance you're going to get some pushback. You're going to get some resistance. You're going to get some tough questions. Some people like to just kind of keep us at arm's length when we're trying to share our faith with these kind of questions. And I know I personally have been set back on my heels a little bit over the years by certain questions that have come up. So I kind of resolved at one point a while ago to just be a lot more confident answering these kind of questions. It's like the story that Kevin told probably about a month ago about his soccer playing days when he used to be, you know, a little tentative back there in goal and he wasn't completely confident yet and, and he, would like, he, he would hope that they wouldn't get a shot off. But then his coach told him, you know, be confident. You want them to shoot the ball. You want them to take that shot. You want to stop it. And after that, he became much more confident in that. And I think that's the same thing for us in our walk as believers is we should want people to ask those questions. We should want people to approach us. We should want to get into that conversation because it can actually be enjoyable if we are prepared for it and it can actually be life-changing for us and for the other person. So apologetics in a Christian context is, is basically about being able to defend your faith. It's about being able to answer those tough questions that come at us about our faith, about God, about Jesus, about the Bible. And to be able to talk about our faith rationally and logically, in addition to experientially and emotionally. It's always a good thing to be able to tell your story. If you're a believer, if you're a follower of Christ, you have a story. And it may be really dramatic. I've heard some crazy stories. But it also may be very undramatic and that's okay too we share our stories with people but we also want to be able to talk about these matters of faith in in a rational and logical way first peter in first peter 3 peter tells fellow believers kind of scattered throughout the roman empire he tells them to always be prepared to give an answer in the greek that word is apologian to give an apologian to everyone who asks you to give the reasons for the hope that you have, but do so with gentleness and respect. And I believe that if we are more confident, if we are more prepared, if we've thought through these things, if we've struggled through them ourselves, then we are going to be able to do that with gentleness and respect because we don't get defensive. You know, we just, we just say, okay, I'm prepared for this, I'm ready. And that sums up the essence of apologetics, being able to give the reasons for the hope that we have and to do so with gentleness and respect. Now, apologetics can seem a little overwhelming like we've talked about. I mean, how can we be prepared to answer all of these myriad of questions that can come at us? But in in studying apologetics, I've come to realize that there are eight to 10 pretty common questions or pretty common themes that people will ask about or push back on. And we've already covered several of these this summer during this series. You know, is the Bible reliable and true? How can you trust that the Bible is the authority in your life? 
Okay, how can you trust it? It's been, you know, it's thousands of years old. It's been copied over and over. It's been translated. And we talked about that back in June. Does the God of the Bible really exist? That question about atheism versus theism. Does God exist? And if God exists, and if he is sovereign, then why are there so many struggles in life? Why isn't life easier? We'll talk a little bit more about that today with the issue of evil and suffering. Is Jesus God? What does that mean when we say Jesus was both fully human and fully God, and why is that important? And then, is Jesus really the only way to heaven? When he says he's the way, the truth, and the life, is that, is that really legit? So we've talked about all those. Now, over the next several weeks, I'm going to address some of the more practical questions, kind of the everyday question. If God is all-powerful and God is all-good, then how can there be evil and suffering in the world? And the next week, we'll talk about if God is loving, then why is there so much violence in the Bible? Especially in the Old Testament. I mean, you read these commands in Deuteronomy and the accounts in Joshua, and you see God telling, telling his people to just go in and take the land by force. Well, that doesn't seem like a very loving thing to do. So we'll talk about that next week. And then kind of fitting into that theme, the following week we'll talk about, you know, this question that people ask, well, well, if your God is gracious and merciful, then what about this thing called hell? And why do people end up in hell? That just doesn't seem right to me. And that's a big one. That's a tough question, but we'll deal with that as well. And I believe that if we are more prepared to answer these kind of questions, and you don't have to have the textbook answer and the eight points, you know, or anything like that, or the philosophical arguments, you just need to have a better understanding of where you stand with these things. Then you can have a greater impact on the world for Jesus. So today's question is this. If God is all good and all powerful, then how can there be evil and suffering in the world? But before we go on, let's pray. Almighty God, we do just come to you in humility right now, Lord. We, we can't even expect to understand all of this. You are an infinite God, and we are your finite creatures. And so, Lord, we just want to get a glimpse into who you are this morning. And we thank you that you have revealed yourself to us. We thank you that that your word is this, just this never-ending depth of, of revelation and understanding and knowledge and wisdom. And we just want to know a little bit more today. So as we talk about this topic, which can be a difficult topic, just pray that you would be glorified, that your word would be illuminated, and that we would be edified and equipped to, to better address these questions in our own hearts and in the lives of those around us. In Jesus' name. Amen. Now, is there any question that there is evil and suffering in the world? I mean, there's a lot of good, right? There's a lot of good in the world, if you look for it. There is a ton of good things that happen in this world. There's a ton of good people. But there's also a lot of evil. There's a lot of suffering. I mean, just think about the things that we see in the news on a daily basis. Mass shootings, political unrest, riots, wars, rumors of wars, fires, flood, famine, and not to mention 18 months of pandemic and the suffering that has come with that. The number of deaths, the number of illnesses, the number of changed lives. It's pretty obvious that evil is a real thing and that, that suffering is real as well. Which leads a lot of people to ask this difficult question. Why does an all-powerful, all-good, 
loving God permit such horrible things to happen in our world. And for many people, this is the single biggest obstacle to believing in God. Now, for some people, admittedly, it's just a straw man argument. It's just an argument that they put up there to basically get you out of their face. Okay? And I get that. Okay? It, it helps them to avoid that decision, that decision to either to, to, to believe in God. It, it's kind of a, an argument of evasion in that sense. But for many people, it is a sincere struggle. And I know that it can also be a sincere struggle for those of us that do believe in God. There are many Christians out there who struggle with this question. So if you struggle with this, if this is something you've wrestled with, you're not alone. I know I've struggled with it in the past, and I worked through it. And as we've been saying all along, it's okay to have questions. It's okay to have doubts. God wants to meet us in those doubts. I believe that he welcomes those questions. He welcomes that. We see examples of that throughout Scripture, where Jesus welcomed the one who doubted and then took away their doubt and replaced it with faith. It's just not okay to let those questions and those doubts fester. Because when they fester, they draw us away from God. I mean, we look around, we see all this horrific stuff going on in the world, and we, seem to, you know, we, we see evil, evil seemingly prevailing. And we see people suffering. And we ask, where is God? Why doesn't he care? How could God let this happen? Why doesn't he just stop it all? Now, the philosophical argument from the skeptic or the antagonist of, of theism or of Christianity goes something like this. Well, your Bible says that your God is all-powerful and all-good, yet evil and suffering exist. So if your God is so powerful, then he must not be good enough to stop it. Or, on the flip side, if your God is so good, then he must not be powerful enough to stop it. So if your God were all-powerful and were all-good, then there would be no evil and suffering in the world. Therefore, they conclude that your God or the God of the Bible can't exist. So we have this question, if God is all good and all powerful, then why do evil and suffering exist? And with everything we see in the news these days, we have to be able to address this question. Now, there are a number of points, like all of these sermons that we're doing on apologetics. There is a whole trove of information out there that you can get into with books and websites, and I'll have some, some resources for you to, to look at later. I'll recommend those to you. So there's a number of issues or a number of ways you can kind of attack this question or, or, or deal with it or reconcile it. Uh, but I'm just going to discuss three of them this morning. And the first one has to do with the source of evil. God did not bring evil into the world. Human rebellion brought evil into the world. When God created humanity, he created us with free will. Now, he could have created a race of robots or machines that were simply programmed to love him. But God went beyond that. He created human beings with the ability to choose. And he gave humans the opportunity to exercise that choice right away. If we look in Genesis chapter 2, the very beginning of the Bible, 
The Lord God commanded the man, Adam, because Eve hadn't been created yet at this point, but he, cre- he, he commanded Adam, he said, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will surely die. So God gave Adam a choice. He said, you are free to make this choice. Now, God could have skipped, you know, creating this tree altogether. He could have simply not given Adam and eventually Eve access to the tree. He could have programmed them to avoid the tree. He could have given them sort of allergic reaction anytime they came near the tree. Or he could have made them and us with zero predisposition to to disobey. He could have made us perfectly obedient creatures. But he didn't do it that way. He made this tree. He made it accessible. He told them not to eat of it. He made it very clear. He gave them a consequence. You will surely die. And then he gave them the choice of whether to obey or not. He gave them free will. Now, some might think that that was kind of an unloving thing to do. But I think it was actually the opposite. I believe that there was something inherently loving about giving human beings free will and the ability to choose. It makes human beings special and unique. It's part of of what it talks about when it says we are made in the image of God. And I think it's remarkable that he gave us the choice to love him and he gave us the choice not to love him. You see, if God were to force humanity to love him, then our love would not be real. It would not be authentic. To be authentic, love has to be freely given and freely received. It cannot be forced. It cannot be coerced. So the most loving thing for God to do was to create humanity with free will. But because he did that, because he created his greatest creation with free will, then there was an inherent risk that we might choose to reject him, that we might choose not to obey him, that we might choose not to love him. And and that rejection, that disobedience, that choice not to love God is the source of evil in our world. So with free will comes the potential for evil. Now, this leads to the question, well, why did God create evil? Well, again, the answer is God didn't create evil. Evil is not a created thing. Evil is the absence of good. Just like darkness is the absence of light and cold is the absence of heat. So God didn't create evil. Rather, evil is the natural outcome of humans' rebellion towards God. In our free will, we have rejected God, we have sinned, and we have ushered evil into the world. A week or two ago, Christy and I were uh, driving up to the mountains, and we were listening to a sermon by Louis Giglio. And it was a sermon about a different topic, um, but he addressed this this topic of, of evil and the existence of evil in the world, and he put it this way. He said, evil exists because we choose less than God's best. Evil exists because we choose less than God's best. So God put Adam and Eve in the garden, literally in paradise. And they were in complete harmony 
with the garden. They were in complete harmony with one another. They were in complete harmony with God. But they chose to disobey. They chose to eat of the fruit. They chose less than God's best. And human beings have been choosing less than God's best ever since. And we live on a broken planet. Not just because of what we hear in the news, but scripture itself says our planet is groaning for renewal, for rebirth. Because we have chosen less than God's best. And because our sin produces that brokenness of the world. And as we look around at what's happening in the world, you can see it all around you. All of the evil, all of the suffering, it's all a consequence of sin. It is all the result of choosing less than God's best. Now, this creates a logical follow-up question. Okay, so if God didn't create evil, then why doesn't he stop it? Why does he allow it to continue? And part of the answer there goes back to the topic of free will. That's why this is so important here. Human beings make choices. And there are natural consequences to those choices. Some good and some not so good, depending on the choices we make. If God were to intercede every time we made a bad choice, then human beings would not have free will. You know, some people today are accused of being helicopter parents because they, they just swoop in every time there's a problem. They fix it. God's not that kind of God. He allows us to make those choices. He allows us to suffer the consequences at times. I look at some of the consequences of choices I've made in my life. They're not good. I made some bad choices. I probably still do. We all do, and we deal with the consequences, but through those consequences, we learn, and we grow. But God also gives us a way out of those consequences. Now, what's ironic about this question, about, well, you know, why, why doesn't God prevent the evil, is that the skeptic, the, the antagonist, kind of wants to have it both ways. They, want, they, they criticize God, People criticize God for not stopping the evil. That's why they ask this question. It's a very critical question. And yet when God does step in and stop evil, they criticize that as well. And what I'm referring to here is actually the topic for next week. This issue of Israel going into the promised land and taking it by force. And God telling them to, in certain cases, with certain nations, a limited number of nations, six of them to be exact, when they go into a town, if that group didn't surrender, to wipe out every living thing that breathes. That's a tough thing to read in the Bible. You say, whoa, but what was God doing there? He was stopping evil. These six nations had been practicing despicable things for four centuries. And God, being a God of omniscience and foreknowledge, knew that they would never repent. And so he knew it was better if they were gone. But we'll talk a lot more about that next week. But that's an example where God stepped in to stop evil. And people say, oh, he can't do that. That's not right. That's not just. That's not fair. So you, so you see the, the conundrum here. We've got, we've got these two, this, this contradiction going on. So we've established that evil is a result of human rebellion. It was not created by God, but God allows it or continues it, allows it to continue for some reason, which leads to the second point. 
We may see suffering as pointless, but ultimately God might have a purpose for allowing it to continue, at least for the time being. Now, in making this statement, I'm not saying that suffering is good. I would never say that. And we should never tell someone who's in the midst of suffering that it's good, that it's a purpose. But I got to tell you, this belief for me, when I was in the hospital with my hip and, and I was suffering, the worst pain I had ever experienced in my life, one of the most important things that was said to me, I can't remember if it was someone that visited or if I heard it on the radio, if I read it, I honestly don't remember. But, but, but the, the idea was, is don't ask why something is happening to you, but ask why it's happening for you. Not why is it happening to you, but why is it happening for you? That was the most encouraging thought I had in the midst of suffering, is that maybe there is some purpose in this. Now, if someone would have come into my hospital room and said, oh, I bet there's a good purpose in this, and you'll, you'll be fine, I probably would have slapped them. But, but to, to, to know that in my own heart, and to just, just have that confidence that, okay, God, you're with me. I remember the crucifix. This was a Catholic hospital. There was a crucifix on the wall, and I grew up Catholic, so I know the significance of the crucifix, but I prefer the empty cross and not the crucifix with Jesus still on it. But yet I realized in that moment what the crucifix signifies. It shows Jesus' suffering on our behalf, that he came into our suffering, and that he was there with me in the midst of my suffering. That is such a powerful truth. So suffering is not good, but God can bring good out of suffering. That's the essence of this familiar passage in Romans 8:28. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. This is not a prosperity gospel, friends. This, this is about suffering. The context of this passage is about suffering. In suffering, God can work for the good of those who love him. Now, one clear example of this in Scripture is the story of Joseph, one of my favorite stories in all the Bible. The last 13 or 14 chapters of Genesis talk about Joseph. And it's a remarkable story. At the beginning, Joseph was an arrogant young man, and he just drew the ire and hatred of his brothers. They couldn't stand him. They wanted to kill him. But they relented and just sold him into slavery instead. And he suffered for years in slavery and in prison. And his suffering seemed pointless at the time. You're reading this and you're like, okay, yeah, he was a little arrogant as a young man, but did he really deserve this? But then the purpose of his suffering, the purpose of his predicament was revealed. His suffering led to his rise to power in ancient Egypt. He became the second most powerful person in Egypt next to the pharaoh. And his, his purpose was to save the nation of Egypt from famine. The wisdom and knowledge that God gave him, the ability to interpret dreams, all of that led to him saving an entire nation and ultimately saving his own family because his brothers, his 11 brothers, came to him begging for food, but they had no idea who he was. You know, by that time, he was probably speaking Egyptian. He was probably dressed like an Egyptian. He probably had the makeup like an Egyptian. He probably walked like an Egyptian. <clears throat> but they didn't know who he was. They had no idea. But, but God knew. God, God arranged this, this meeting, right? And his family became, the, they were the 12 patriarchs of Israel. So at this point, they were just a family, but they became the nation of Israel. 
And in Genesis 50, we see the purpose behind God allowing Joseph's suffering as a result of the evil of his brothers. So the brothers come. They are seeking food in the midst of this famine. They are willing to do anything. And Joseph finally, after testing them a few times, he discloses who he is. He reveals himself to his brothers. And his brothers come down and throw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So Joseph asked, why is this happening for me and for others? Not why is it happening to me? He didn't wallow in his suffering. He didn't have a bunch of self-pity. He just trusted God in the midst of it. And God revealed in Scripture that, that he had a plan, that he had a purpose in all of this. And, and Joseph wasn't aware of that purpose during, during this time, during those tough times in prison and in slavery. That awareness came much later. And given time and perspective, most of us can look back in our lives and see moments of pain and suffering and see the good that came out of that. So, so could it be from God's vantage point, from an eternal perspective, that, that some good can come out of all this evil and suffering in the world? And maybe suffering is not pointless. I mean, practically, suffering can help us grow. Suffering can give us empathy and compassion for others who suffer. It can help us to minister to others. It can draw us closer to God. It can lead us to repentance. It can motivate us to surrender our lives to Jesus as Lord and Savior. A lot of the testimonies I've heard over the years came through a testimony of pain, a testimony of suffering, whether it was physical pain or emotional suffering, that drew people to Jesus. And knowing Jesus can make our suffering have meaning. Because when we suffer, we enter into his suffering. Going back to Romans 8, Paul writes, The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we might also share in his glory. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. That is an eternal perspective on suffering. So here is an alternative philosophical argument. God is all good. God is all powerful. Evil and suffering do exist. Therefore, God must have sufficient reason for allowing evil and suffering, at least for the time being. And we may never fully comprehend why. And that's okay, because Isaiah 55 says, our thoughts are not his thoughts. Our ways are not his ways. He is so far above us. We can try, and I think it's good to work through this rather than just to play the mystery card immediately. But we will never fully grasp why or how all of this works. And that's okay. The third and final point for this morning is that the existence of evil actually provides evidence 
for the existence of God, not against it. Some people just say, well, I can't believe in a God that would allow evil and suffering to exist. But really, the existence of evil and suffering is an argument for God. C.S. Lewis was originally an atheist. And he rejected the idea of God because of the cruelty of life and the suffering that he had seen and experienced in life. But then he came to realize that the existence of evil and the reality of suffering provided a better argument for God's existence than against it. Now, his original argument was that the world was unjust because of all the evil and suffering. But then he wondered, where does the idea of just and unjust come from? What, what makes something just and something else unjust? What standard was he using? And from where did that standard originate? And he could have concluded, as, as many do, that justice was simply a construct in his own mind, that he made it up, and that it was all relative. My sense of justice is different than your sense of justice. and vice versa. That, That's what many people do, especially today. But then he started considering the universal oughtness of life. Things ought to be a certain way. Things ought not to be other ways. And all cultures throughout human history have this sense of oughtness, this, this, these standards of right and wrong. And all cultures throughout history have developed rules and laws to codify this sense of oughtness. They may differ a little bit from culture to culture. They're not, they're not universal across the board, but there's a lot of similarities, a lot more similarities than differences. But the existence of these standards is universal. Every culture studied has some form of rules and regulation, consequences and rewards, and it's all based on this oughtness. So human beings have a predisposition to some sort of standard of morality, a difference between right and wrong. So Lewis came to the conclusion that atheism was far too simple. Because with atheism, there is no explanation for the oughtness we feel in life. There is no explanation for the conscience. There is no explanation for this universal sense that there is justice and injustice. So since there is a universal sense of that, then there has to be a source for that idea of justice and goodness. There has to be an objective moral standard outside of the human experience, outside of time and space. And he concluded that the source is God. So he moved down the continuum a little bit from being an atheist to a theist. He believed in God. And then sometime later, he concluded that the source of all this was the God of the Bible and he became a devout Christian and an apologist and a theologian. So ultimately, the existence of evil and, more importantly, our ability to recognize it as evil argues for the existence of God, not against it. So let me summarize real quick these three points. When we are trying to reconcile this existence of evil with the existence of an all-good, all-powerful God, these are a few points that we can bring up. 
One, God did not create evil. He is not the source of evil. Rather, evil is a consequence of human rebellion. In other words, human beings going all the way back to Genesis 3 are responsible for the evil we see around us. Two, while we might see suffering as pointless, God has a much bigger perspective, an eternal perspective. And from his perspective, there must be some sufficient reason for allowing it to continue at least for the time being. There will be a time of judgment. We currently are in a time of mercy. And God is having mercy on this world. He wants none to perish. He wants everyone to come to life in Jesus Christ. And he is waiting. But eventually there will be a time of judgment. And then three, the fact that we can recognize evil, that we can see it, that we can call it out, that we can see the difference between good and evil, is actually a case for the existence of God. Now, when it comes to our response here, we have to realize these arguments don't get God off the hook for the presence of evil and suffering in the world. But it is not our responsibility to get God off the hook. He can, he can defend himself. And it might not even be God's desire to get off the hook. In fact, quite the opposite might be true. God came to earth to put himself on the hook in the midst of human suffering. He came to the earth to put himself on the cross in the midst of human suffering. And Jesus suffered greatly as a result of the evil in the world. And in Jesus and through Jesus, God experienced the depth of pain and suffering that we deal with. And the resurrection of Jesus provides the ultimate hope for humanity because he overcame suffering, he overcame evil, and in so doing, those that believe in him can be assured of the life they long for. Maybe not in this life, but in eternity, where there will be no suffering and no pain and no evil. You see, Jesus Christ is the ultimate answer to the problem of evil and suffering because he came, overcame both through his death and resurrection. And every worldview, this is one question to ask back when somebody asks you this question. How do you deal with the question of, of evil? Every worldview has to address this. Some worldviews don't acknowledge it and say there is no such thing as good and evil. It's a false dichotomy created in our brains. It's an illusion. But most worldviews address this, and they address it in different ways. But I believe the Christian worldview provides by far the best answer to this question. See, with biblical Christianity, there is the possibility of ultimate judgment for the wicked. You know, we look around and say, why do the wicked prosper? Well, with the biblical worldview, the wicked will incur judgment. Now, we want them to repent. We want them to be saved. But if they don't, and if they consciously reject God, they will incur the judgment and wrath of God. With biblical Christianity, there is hope for the child born with fatal disease because the Bible tells us that we have hope for a better life in eternity. Nothing like this is found in the atheistic worldview. There is no hope. There is no promise. And there's nothing but meaningless heartache and meaningless pain. So someone choosing not to believe in God because of the existence of evil is choosing instead to believe in a proposition that has no hope whatsoever. Now in terms of resources on this topic, we've been doing this throughout the summer, giving you different books and websites. They're in the Bible app, they're in the, the, on the website, things like that. But here's, these, these three books have excellent chapters on this problem of evil. We've already talked about the first two. 
the layman's manual on Christian apologetics and the reason for God. They have really good. And one we haven't mentioned yet is The God I Don't Understand by Christopher Wright. So all three of these books have very helpful chapters on this topic. And there's, there's podcasts and websites. There's all kinds of things you can, you can find out there to, to reinforce some of the stuff we're talking about this morning. And then I would also encourage you to continue this discussion with those around you. Friends, roommates, family, life groups, small group, whatever. Have these discussions because it's in those discussions that we, we process and we learn. You're not going to learn it just from listening to me or to Kevin or to Gus or to Dan, you know, for 20 or 30 minutes. You're going to learn it from processing and, 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 and drawing it into yourself. But just think of some of these discussion questions as you have the opportunity. You know, talk about where does evil come from? Can we blame God for the, for the existence of evil? What are some of the reasons that God might allow it to continue? And, and what does the existence of evil actually tell us about the goodness of God? So use those questions and use those resources to kind of do your own journey through this. So in closing, when evil things happen in the world and people suffer as a result, our primary response should be to point people to the hope that is available in Jesus Christ. That is the answer. And I believe that developing a reasonable, biblically-based answer to this question is the best way to maintain hope and strength in the face of evil and suffering that we experience, and it's the best way to be able to share that hope and strength with others who are suffering. Let's pray. Lord God, again, we just acknowledge in humility that you are unfathomable in your riches and your depth and your wisdom and your knowledge. You are beyond space and time, and, and we can never hope to fully grasp who you are and just how to answer all these questions perfectly, Lord. But we just seek to be able to answer them a little bit better today. We pray that you would prepare our hearts for the possibility of those questions and that, that, that we would have the kind of confidence that would invite those conversations into our lives, that we would get excited about those opportunities, but that we would always share our hope and the reasons for our hope with gentleness and respect. And Lord, we just pray for your spirit to guide us as we grapple with these issues ourselves in our own heart and as we address them with people around us. Pray that we would be ambassadors of your love and reflect your love to everyone we come into contact with. In Jesus' name, amen. My heart is pounding a little bit and, and uh, just feeling like... Um, Obviously, God is in this place, but uh, I feel like he's moving in a certain direction. And, uh, um, some of us are personally dealing with that problem of suffering and evil. Some of us in this room, a lot of us in this room, and... I was going to read uh, just my favorite scripture in the Bible, I think. Uh, definitely top three or four. Uh, this is a scripture that my dad uh, 
lived out for the remainder of his life. And um, you, most of you are familiar with it. It's 2 Corinthians 12, starting with um, verse 7. Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness and insults and hardships and persecutions and difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. If you're here today and you're, and you're suffering, I'm so sorry. And uh, I don't pretend to know the pain that you're feeling or experiencing. But I can say with confidence that God does and, and knows and has felt your pain. Um, the difference between sympathy and empathy is, is empathy is you take on someone's pain and sympathy, you just feel sorry for them. God has that true empathetic compassion for all of us. So as I was considering sharing this, um, uh, Ernie approached me and uh, confirmed this in me and, and uh, um, shared that he had some similar stirrings in his heart. So he's going to come up and share a word. And then I would encourage us to um, just, believe, just believe what the Lord is saying and receive it and that he is over all. And we're going to continue in worship. And, and uh, I see a few members of the prayer team here and, and we have elders um, here as well. If you are suffering if you are experiencing that suffering and um, just need prayer, then, then let us pray for you. Um, and it could be that God wants to take that suffering, to take that pain. And it could be that God wants to ask that question, you know, not why am I doing this to you, but why am I doing this for you? So um, as, we, as we listen to the word that Ernie has and continue in worship, let's just, just be open to what the Lord has to tell you. probably the last person you expect to see up here today and believe me I'm the last person I ever thought would be up here like nothing on my agenda coming in here was to be up here and but 
I see why I'm up here, because this church has a heart like mine. You individuals have a heart like mine, and God's calling us out today. And what the heart that I have is that and I, in my quiet time, I want to do what God asks me to do, and I want to see cool things, and I want others to do them. But he said today, I'm doing it. And so if I shake, it's because I'm not, but I'm excited to do it because I've, I've wanted to do this, and I have a couple times, but there's been so many more times God's called me to say something to somebody or do something and I haven't done it but trust me this is for you you're each of you today and he's big enough to meet everyone and tell you what it is specifically for you but I was reading and this goes along with what Sean was teaching I was reading today about in Luke about the kingdom and the narrow door and I'm just going to read what God, I wrote in my journal. Um, the first thing it says, work hard to enter the narrow door to God's kingdom. And then he goes on and explains that narrow door. But God said, work hard. And it's not doing. It's doing what he asks you as individuals to do. And sometimes it's work hard at your suffering because that's where you are. Sometimes it's work hard at doing something tough but what he's just listen to what he because I believe this body is listening and wanting that nudge and I think this is part of that um, <clears throat> and that word work is means strive it's a Greek word it's, it's when you're in an athletic contest or war it takes a great deal of effort it's not passive it's investing with great energy and effort winning is no accident the result is deliberate and a sustained effort. And there is only one door, and that's Jesus. Jesus made the rules and made the door narrow. We can't try to widen it or invent a door that works for us. And that is why many Christians today, cultural Christians, believe they can make Jesus' rules for him, and he will fit into their way. Well, there is only one way, whether I like it or not. So I will follow all the rules that he made. I want to learn the rules. We all need to learn the rules more each day in the word and strive to live as he asks us to. I'm only truly content under these circumstances anyways. You're only really truly content. If you're trying to make up your own rules, you are not content. So stop it. But I found true contentment. Sacrificing and serving are keys to this. And I want to do what it takes, uh, or I want to do what makes me happy and comfortable, but I can't. I must seek his will to do it. Now I'm seeing more and more that each believer has unique callings and jobs given directly from the Father if we will just listen. Jesus was our example when he says, I only do what I see my Father doing. The Bible is our guide and we all must follow those instructions, the Bible is our guide, and we must follow those instructions. But wrapped deep into the word, God speaks to us individually. So what one believer strives to do here will look different than what another strives to do for 
in the specifics of our own individual callings, and it's important that you know you have individual callings. We look outward too much, and we try to do what others are called to do and miss our specific duties. I can easily do this, so Lord, keep me on the narrow road and make it clear what I am called to do. Well, I guess I didn't know this was part of it today. But as I got in, God just started telling me what specific things, too, he wants people to know. Dan and Jen, oh, I was supposed to do, I'll get back to you, you got to wait. Um, I was supposed to tell you that I, we have been called to, we're, we're not regularly attending here anymore, so this is even more weird, right? Um, but I love you guys. I love the leadership. I love this place. And so if there's any feelings from anybody, forgive me. And so I believe it's part of this too. It's God's calling us, our family, to do another thing. But he obviously calling us back here sometimes. And so today I get to see you all and talk to you. But Dan and Jen, he's with you in your grief, man. And what the cool thing was, don't rush the grief, but know that you two are, the, are now carrying the mantle. The patriarch and matriarch of that family, it is amazing. And the extended part that you are always overseeing and helping, you can do it. But he wants you to just feel him and know he'll be with you in the, every step. Um, just asking the spirit to lead over me Jesse you've, you've given your life to him he loves you and you are he will show you exactly what you, he has when he has it but he wants you to know he just loves your heart and that that even things may not seem to work out the way you wanted them to or want them to, they've all had a purpose and they all had a plan. He's so proud of you. Brian, is Brian in here anymore? Oh yeah, Brian. He sees your suffering, man. That's all I know and he's in it with you. So he wants you to know he's in it with you. Kevin, he's with you. It's the word. He's with you. He loves you. And the other word is you can do this. So I'm not going to put my words into his mouth. Um, and so I do believe that he will, as we worship, he will tell you all specific things. Um, I think the thing that I was most afraid of, because when God was taught, I can say those things. But I believe, help me with my belief, Lord. Sean, that Jesus w wants to heal your hip today. I really do. And I believe He said that in your speech, in your what you said today, you sat in that room and you trusted Him. And you've trusted him and he has 
seen it. And I remember right when you were back, you said, Ari, I just, as crazy as it sounds, I just know he has a time and he wants to heal it. And I believe he wants to do it for our benefit too, to see that you're at, you've suffered. I believe, as much as I have faith to believe that it's ending, a lot of us are in the suffering right now. And I think God wants to show that there is an end to the suffering. And some of it might be in the, um, when it comes in heaven. But I think a lot of times we, it's, you know, the, the morning comes. Sunday morning comes, it'll come, so hold through your suffering. Um, I had a sinus trouble for years and years, and my brother-in-law was praying for me, said, Lord, I want you to heal Ernie, but don't heal him until everything you wanted to do in him is done. And so I pray that for all of you that are suffering, that it won't, that everything he wants to do won't get done, and, and, or you won't get better until it's done. So seek what he wants to do. And a lot of you, it's just the heal, it's just being healed and it's not doing because you work hard to get through that door. A lot of it is working hard at sitting at his feet and letting him love on you and heal you. So I know he's going to speak to each of you individually. And Sean, I don't know what to do at this point. Um, I think I'm gonna at least come over there and pray with you. If, if the elders feel like you should be brought up, I don't know. It's scary, because what if it doesn't happen? But it's Jesus that's gonna do it, not me anyways. But I believe with all my heart that he wouldn't have told me that if it's not there. So I think I'll just go with yeah. that. Yeah, so those of you who would like and some elders, I'd, I'd love it if we could gather around Sean. We're going to continue in worship and continue to um, actively and intentionally invite the Lord to do his work.
still and trust what the Lord has said is done. Find rest, don't strive. Watch in faith and grace align. I won't be afraid if you are here. You silence all my fear. I won't be afraid. You don't let go. Be still, my heart, and know. I won't be afraid. I won't be afraid.
grace is sufficient just to figure out how to do life. Um, thanks, Trish. <laughs> oh, it's been difficult figuring out how to live without the guidance of a family. And uh, our parents came to visit us over this month when help Isaiah get set up. 
and it was my first time seeing them in two years. So it's been a while. That's my mom and stepdad and my brothers. But uh, we said goodbye to them on Monday of uh, this last Monday. And it's hard because in our family, goodbyes aren't just, I'll see you next week, or hey, I'll be over for dinner. It's, I'll see you in a year, maybe two, maybe three. And so it's really tough. It's a hard thing to suffer through. But I can just see my, my brother's really feeling it today, and I am too. So Hillside, I just want to ask you guys that if you could keep us in mind, and could you pray for us? Let us know that we're part of your family while ours is miles and miles away. Cause it's, it's really hard. That's what I had. But could we gather around Isaiah and, I mean me, I guess, but could we pray for us?
There's still time to uh, just receive prayer and uh, be ministered to and to share uh, your burden with somebody else. So we're going to um, sing another song. We'll close with this song, but uh, if you are feeling like you want prayer and want to share a little bit, um, the people will be in the back. Elders, prayer team. But why don't we close with this song? This is definitely one of my favorites. Why don't we stand and sing this? So I'm going to say something really quick. Here's the third person who probably wasn't going to speak. Um, but I just wanted to recognize um, just how beautifully broken um, we are as the body of Christ and how beautiful it is that we can share in our suffering um, just as our Savior suffered. And, um, but he's also the God of all comfort. And we share in that comfort um, to share with um, everyone around us. And so... Um, that's what we're doing here um, with Sean, with um, these guys and everyone else who is suffering. We get to share that with the body, but we also get to share in the comfort that we have. Um, and it's just beautiful and broken. Um, so yeah, just thankful for this family that we have. 
and this God that we serve um, that is so much bigger than all of our um, suffering. So let's sing this. I just wanted to echo that feeling pretty strongly that this is the body of Christ doing what God wants us to do. And there's power in that. To let him move. <laughs> he so desires more from us, from me. I've become very cynical in the past few years and this is amazing. I'm looking at this and it is beautiful to see the body of Christ doing what we were created to do. So I just want to give him glory. He deserves praise and honor this morning, every day. But the body of Christ in action, beautiful. Yeah. 
God, we do that together. Thank you that we can rest in your sovereignty and your goodness. We thank you that your will is perfect. So God, we trust you with our pain, with our suffering. God, we ask that you would take it away. But we also ask that while we have it, that you would use it in our lives and those around us. Have your way. We love you, Lord. Thank you guys for being here. Please stay and, and uh, fellowship with each other. Continue to share your burdens, share your requests. Pray for each other. This is your place. Let's keep doing that. Have a great week. Mm -hmm.